I think when considering Christian faith and practice, we're so used to asking, is it true or is it good? Like, is it true that the Bible is the infallible word of God? Is it true that Jesus rose from the dead? Or we ask, is it good to be addicted to our work and never rest? Is it good to meditate on scripture and pray? And those are important questions. But when was the last time you stood before God or came to church and asked the question, is it beautiful? When was the last time you were captivated by the beauty of God? When was the last time you felt awe and wonder in his presence? I think we've spent so much time and energy trying to convince the world of the truth of Christianity and trying to make a case for the moral goodness of God, but something is missing. Along with apologetics and ethics, there's also an aesthetic to the gospel. See, when Christian apologetics, we have, I think there's a slide up there, apologetics, they're asking, is it true, right? We're defending the truth of our faith. When we're talking about Christian ethics, we're asking, is it good or is it bad? But Christian aesthetics asks the question, is it beautiful? And it isn't, that aesthet- or it isn't that apologetics and ethics aren't important. We need to be pursuing, articulating, and defending truth. We need to be asking what is right and wrong in the eyes of God. But I would argue that what we most desperately need in this hour is a renaissance of Christian aesthetics, a pursuit of beauty. And listen, this isn't just an appeal for the artists and the quote-unquote creative ones, but even a shift in the very posture that we have when we come into the house of God, when we come before God Almighty and we say, God, would you show me your beauty? Fill my heart with wonder once again. One of my favorite books on this subject by Brian Zond um, called Beauty Will Save the World, actually by the title that we do our, our series on, Um, He tells a story. About a thousand years ago, there was this man named Prince Vladimir the Great, and he was looking for a new religion to unify the Russian people. And so he sent envoys to investigate different realms and discover different religions, and he wanted to see which religion should we take back so that we could unify our people. And so when the envoys returned, they discovered that some religions were dour and austere and boring and dull. Others encountered faiths that were abstract and theoretical, but hardly practical. But it's reported that those who investigated Christianity in Constantinople reported finding a faith characterized by such transcendent beauty that they didn't know if they were in heaven or on earth. This is actually a written record of what was reported. It says, Then we went to Constantinople, and they led us to the place where they worshipped their God. And we knew not whether we were in heaven or earth, for on earth there is no such vision nor beauty, and we do not know how to describe it. We only know that God dwells among men. We cannot forget that beauty. And upon receiving the report of the beauty that they had witnessed in Christian worship, Prince Vladimir the Great adopted Christianity as the new faith for the Russian people. 
And in the story, what I want to point out and illustrate, this is a true story, by the way, what persuaded Vladimir to embrace Christianity was not its apologetics or its ethics, but its aesthetics, its beauty. It was beauty that brought salvation to the Russian people. Can you imagine? I wonder how many people come through the doors of 99 and they're able to say, I had no idea if I was on heaven or on earth because of the transcendent beauty that I witnessed and experienced. 900 years later in Russia, the great Russian writer Fyodor Dostoevsky coined the expression, beauty will save the world. And he didn't know back then, but it would be a prophetic calling for the church to reclaim their pursuit of beauty. Isn't that beautiful? It was the beauty of Christian worship. It was the beauty of the adorning symbols. It was the beauty of the cathedral. It was the beauty of the way that people loved and treated one another that brought faith to the Russian people. We live in a post-Christian culture that's so turned off by absolute truth claims. I mean, if you claim absolute truth on Twitter, you will get blasted, right? And we're so suspicious of people boasting moral superiority. That's why so many people have been turned off by the church, because sometimes it feels like we're this uppity moral people, and we know what's best, and all this and that. And so people are so turned off in a post-Christian culture to these two things, truth and goodness. But beauty can win hearts. Often where truth can't convince, beauty can attract. I remember uh, one of my favorite stories is I was leading worship. You know, honestly, I don't have like an amazing voice. Like I have a friend, Anthony, who has like a legit amazing voice, but I think I could hold a tune. And I remember I was leading worship that day. And in our congregation for that service, one of their friends brought their atheist friend. And afterwards, they both came up to me after service. And the friend was like, hey, I just want to thank you so much. I don't know what I experienced here today, but I know I've never experienced anything as beautiful as it. I don't know if he met God, but I know he encountered the divine. I know there was something special. Beauty made an impact and left a mark. You see, beauty has a way of disarming us. Beauty eliminates the need for right and wrong. This is why someone can be moved by Picasso and another by Monet, and neither is wrong or right. Why someone could love the mountains and someone else could love the ocean side, and no one's right or wrong. This is why someone could be into NSYNC and another person into Backstreet Boys and well, actually, there is a right and wrong there. Backstreet Boys is wrong and NSYNC is right. But, but beauty eliminates the need for right and wrong. Truth without beauty can become condescending. Goodness without beauty can become moralistic. And beauty without truth or goodness can become shallow. But when truth and goodness and beauty kiss, we see a holistic expression of the gospel that has the power to attract and to transform the world. Christianity needs not only to be defended as true, it needs to be presented as beautiful. Aesthetics matter. Beauty matters. Beauty is essential to the gospel message. Now, the church throughout the ages really understood this. It's hard to believe now, but for many centuries, the church was actually the leading influence in music, 
in the arts, in architecture, in literature, in philanthropy. Think Da Vinci's The Last Supper. I think we have some pictures up here. Think Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel. Think Handel's Messiah. My parents go to Handel's Messiah here in San Francisco at the orchestra every single year. We forget that the church was the leading influence of culture. And for centuries, secular artists, writers, and musicians were trying to imitate the church because the world was attracted to the beauty of our faith. But now, it's so foreign to think of that the church had the world's eyes and ears. How much has changed? These days, it feels like the church is always trying to play catch-up. If I have one sermon in my entire life, it's this one. Christians have become so corny. Where Christian art, music, and movies are nothing but poor knockoffs of mainstream culture. Why? We've lost our concern for beauty and it shows. Come on, how many times have you clicked on the the link for the new Christian movie trailer and rolled your eyes? Or how many of us have given up on Christian music because it just sounds like a poor imitation of our favorite secular artists? How many church designs are so outdated, generic, or unoriginal? Thank God for Seabell. You know, she's able to do all these amazing designs. But we have become so out of touch with beauty and with culture, we have lost our influence. I mean, we serve the most creative being in all of the universe, and Bible man is the best that we can come up with. I mean, this is like multiple knockoffs. I mean, there's a lightsaber right there. There's some sort of armor. I don't even know what that weapon is. I mean, there was a trend. It was trendy in the 80s and the 90s, even the early 2000s, of just taking things from popular culture and putting a Jesus spin on it. And we thought we would win the world through it by recycling what the world was producing that was beautiful and just adding a little Jesus flair to it. But we didn't. And not much has changed. In many ways, the church has become the laughingstock of cultural relevance. And it's not just because the world disagrees with what we believe. It's because we just gave up the mantle of beauty. Just slapping Jesus on something, hear me, church. Just slapping Jesus on something does not make it beautiful. It doesn't create an attractive witness. It's just lazy. I'm sorry, but coffee mugs with Christian sayings aren't cutting it anymore. Poorly produced Christian movies with cringy dialogue and overly preachy Christian messages won't do it. We need to reclaim true beauty. In other words, the message of the gospel is true and good, but it also matters what that message is wrapped up in, how that message is delivered, how that message looks and sounds and feels like. I mean, you ever see those people on the street with those signs and they're screaming Bible verses at people through a megaphone? Hey, they might have good theology. They might be right. They might have good intentions, but as sure as hell is not beautiful, okay? Because the message is good. But beauty also matters. Dallas Willard, he says this, Beauty is goodness made manifest to the senses. In other words, beauty is when you see goodness. 
Beauty is when you hear goodness. Beauty is when you feel goodness. Beauty is when you taste goodness. Beauty is when you smell goodness. When your senses are so overwhelmed with goodness, with wonder, and with awe, you cannot deny that there is something greater at work. And here's the truth. Our souls crave beauty. This is why we love to travel and to see new places. This is why Ian loves getting out in nature and seeing the beauty of God's creation. This is why we love music and the arts and movies. This is why our hearts light up when we look at someone that we love because beauty is the language of the soul. I want to look at one of my favorite stories in the Bible. We're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 10. Had to throw a Bible verse in here just so it's not a feel-good message. But check this out. This is a story of uh, Queen Sheba encountering Solomon. And from verse, um, I think it's verse 1, here we go. When the Queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relationship to the Lord, she came to test Solomon with hard questions. Arriving at Jerusalem with a very great caravan, with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold, and precious stones, she came to Solomon and talk with him about all that she had all she had on her mind. Solomon answered all of her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. But when the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, his cupbearers, the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. And she said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me in wisdom and wealth. You have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel. He has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. In case you missed it, let me, let me unpack this a little bit for you. The Queen of Sheba, after hearing about King Solomon's wisdom, travels all the way around the world to come see if he was the real deal. And she wasn't disappointed. King Solomon was answering all of her questions. He was displaying such wisdom that it blew her mind. But I love this. She was so blown away by the wisdom Solomon possessed. Many people miss this next part. If you go back to the first part of the verse, she was also overwhelmed by the palace that he had built, the food on his table, the furniture his officials sat in, the robes of the servants, the cups and other religious artifacts crafted by the artisans. And so she said, I had heard all these amazing things about you, but I didn't believe it until I came and saw with my own eyes. Yes, your wisdom was impressive, but I was also so captivated by the beauty your architects designed of the palace, by the smell and the taste of the food your chefs prepared by the feel of the clothes that your sewers had weaved and the end result a pagan queen who did not believe in Yahweh is so compelled by truth and beauty that she's led into an encounter with God she ends up saying praise be to the Lord your God 
if you didn't get it, the food was so good that it led her into an encounter with God. The clothes were so dank, it led her to praising Yahweh. The architecture was so stunning, it led her into a reverent posture before the divine. Listen, don't tell me that my work is more important than yours. We see here that it wasn't just the wisdom and the truth of Solomon, but the beauty of the artisans, the beauty of the chefs, the beauty of the clothes designers, of the architects that led her to encountering God. Have you ever experienced something so beautiful? It led you like almost into a, like a spiritual experience, a divine encounter with God. Something so beautiful that the very ground that you were on became holy with the presence of the divine. Maybe it was a beautifully painted sunset sky or a majestic portrait of the mountains on your hike. Maybe it was a perfectly crafted movie scene like the scene from Up or the sound of the orchestra playing in perfect harmony. You know, I don't know. I, every few months I go on this binge of performances from The Voice and or America's Got Talent. Come on, you guys watch those performances and you're weeping when you see this unassuming person come up and just share a beautiful song and hearing the voice, it moves your soul in such a way that even if they're not singing about God, you know that God must be real. Maybe it was something that you tasted that was so good that you didn't deny the existence of God. Have you ever had food that led you into an encounter with God? I have to talk to you after service. Tell me what restaurant. I believe it's possible. And even though there was no mention of God or a Christian saying bumper stickered on it or a Bible verse tacked on for good measure, beauty led you into an encounter with the living God. Erwin McManus, he says, beauty is anything that provokes wonder. Hear me, church. Beauty in it of itself is a witness to who God is. And beauty will always lead us back to its source. Beauty will always lead us back to the creator. And just because it doesn't have Jesus plastered all over it, beauty itself can lead us into an encounter with the almighty, with the divine. I think, I didn't share this with Ian. I, I told him, you know, Zion National Park, you know, the, the Narrows. Have you been there? It was one of the most beautiful things that I've seen. But I just remembered that the most beautiful thing that I've ever seen besides my wife um, was when we were on our honeymoon in Italy on the Amalfi Coast. I have a picture of the Amalfi Coast. Um, but this does not even do it justice. So what the Amalfi Coast is known for is that... Uh, Brad and Angelina used to honeymoon there. Beyonce did as well. But these roads that curve around the mountainside with all these buildings and beautiful houses and colorful uh, structures that are adorned with, there's this beautiful road called the Amalfi Coast Highway, and it just weaves along the ocean and also weaves along beautiful architecture and orchids, or, orchards of, like, lemons and, and different beautiful fruits. It's so stunning. And the road is so small that sometimes there's these big tour Buses full of foreign people, and you're driving your car that literally you guys are like one inch apart. Like, and you're driving on the edge of the cliff, and the bus is like almost scraping against the side of the mountain. But, but people go on this road because it's so beautiful. And I remember when Chris and I, um, you know, we, we settled in our hotel, we had an infinity pool overlooking all of this, all beautiful. But we decided to finally go on the drive. And I think we were playing at the time Justin Bieber's Purpose came out, and we were listening to one of the songs, and we we're just driving. 
And I remember um, every corner, it's like as you're, you're, you're approaching the corner, you see the water. And when you dip in, you start to see the mountainside and the water mixed together. Every corner, we were just like, oh, my God, that was the most beautiful stretch of the, the ride. And every corner we go back and say, oh, my God, this one's even more beautiful. And then every time, oh, my God, this is stunning. This is amazing. But I remember the one turn, we went into a dark tunnel. And it was completely dark, and we're just driving. And it's, we could see the light at the end of the tunnel. I was like, oh, my God, I wonder what the view is going to be like. And I remember coming out of the tunnel and just being so stunned with the beautiful water, the beautiful buildings, the orchards. And we were completely silent. And after a few seconds as I'm driving and just taking this all in, I look over and my wife has tears rolling down her face. And she's laughing at me because I have tears rolling down my face. And I remember more than any place that I'd ever been, I remember thinking, man, God is real. God is real. And there was something divine and spiritual about the experience. Beauty will always lead us back to its source. Beauty will always lead us back to the creator. So then the question is this, what is the aesthetic of our gospel? In other words, what makes our faith so beautiful? Because we see such a stark contrast between the way the world defines beauty and the way that God defines beauty, don't we? Many of us never grew up feeling beautiful because we never matched up to the world's standards of beauty. Many of you never believed your story was beautiful because it didn't fit into the cookie-cutter mold of what a beautiful story should be. Um, I'm going to get unspiritual for a second and read the dictionary definition of beauty. It says, beauty is a combination of qualities such as shape, color, or form that pleases the aesthetic senses. And what, what, what that definition tells me is that beauty has a form. Beauty isn't this formless thing. Beauty actually has a form that pleases our senses. There's a form to Christianity that captivates us all. So the question is, what is the form that makes our faith so beautiful? And we see it in a symbol. Brian Zahn from his book, Beauty Will Save the World, he says this. Simply put, the cross is the form that makes Christianity beautiful. The cross is the beauty of Christianity because it is at the cross that we encounter co-suffering love and costly forgiveness in its most beautiful form. But the question is, can we see the beauty of the cruciform in a culture that idolizes success? Can we see beauty in the cross in a culture that equates beauty with a pretty face? Can we see past the horror of a grisly execution and discern the sacred beauty beneath the surface. The cross is a symbol that represents the beauty of our faith, which is actually so scandalous and so backward because the cross was anything but a symbol of beauty. For the Romans, it was a symbol of death and execution, of ugliness, of pain, and of suffering. But God takes this symbol of death and ugliness, and he redeems the symbol and makes it into a symbol of beauty. Brian Zahn continues by saying, Every cross adorning a church is in it of itself a sermon, a sermon proclaiming that if Christ can transform the Roman instrument of execution into a thing of beauty, there's hope that in Christ all things can be made beautiful. 
And so in recognizing that the cross is the form that makes our faith so beautiful, it beckons us to redefine what is beautiful in our world. Maybe beauty isn't the Instagram model with flawless skin and perfect hair. Maybe beauty is the immigrant mother who has no time to do her hair because she's busy working two jobs to support her children. Maybe beauty isn't the wealthy businessman posting pics on an exotic location. Maybe beauty is the homeless man on the street who's thankful for the little that he has. Maybe beauty isn't the extravagant megachurch with stunning lights and excellent music. Maybe beauty is a small church called 99 down the street that only has about 30 people. Just kidding. Maybe beauty is a small whisper of prayer from the person at home plagued with doubt and grief. Maybe beauty isn't the worship song or sermon on Sunday morning. Maybe beauty is the hug that you receive from someone in the community. See, when the world looked at the cross, they saw death. But when God looked at the cross, he saw life. I remember um, I went on so many overseas mission trips. Actually, many with, a few with Devin, right? We went on a few together. Um, and I remember Indonesia is a place that I went to very often. And it was cool. Like, we'd have these revival services, and people would encounter God. They'd give their lives to Jesus. People would be healed, experiencing miracles. And I remember... Um, Year after year, I'd go, and I'd, I'd wonder, what's the thing that's going to blow me away this year? And I remember a few years in, you know, I'd seen and done it all. Not to say that I was like a, a master or a pro, but I kind of knew what to expect. You know, we're going to land. We're going to have a coconut. Um, we're going to play with the kids. We're going to have revival services. People are going to experience the power of God. Cool. But I remember on that trip, for some reason, um, during the revival services, it just wasn't hitting me. I mean, people were like melting at the altar. People were giving their lives to Jesus, and it just wasn't moving me the same way. But I remember on close to our last day, we were just hanging out with some of the kids from the orphanage that we go and support, and we were on the beach. And I remember in the middle of us playing soccer, you know, I could barely play soccer. I was so tired and so humid, 90% humidity there. And I remember just laying on the beach in the shallow water as the waves were coming across me, looking into the sky, seeing clouds. I remember closing my eyes and hearing like children laughing and running beside me. And I remember thinking, this is the most powerful moment on this trip. More than people getting saved, more than people getting healed. For me right now, for this trip, this is where I'm experiencing you, God. And I think there's something true about that. And it's, it's not that people getting saved and delivered and healed is not beautiful. But sometimes God likes to surprise us with beauty and the unexpected. In the thing the world looks at and says, that's not beautiful. In the thing that we might look at and say, that's not holy. Sometimes God, the cross reminds us that beauty is seen in unexpected places. And this is the beauty of the Christian message found in the cross, that all things can be made beautiful. Even the ugliest parts of your life, even the pain you were convinced that would never heal, even the shame you thought you could never escape, the beauty that saves the world occurs through the ugliness of death. And that gives us hope because we know that in the ugliness of our lives, that beauty will save us too. That beauty will make all things beautiful. 
which means we have hope that there's beauty on the other side of everything that's ugly in our lives. And listen, more than anything, this is the message that we bring to the world. This is the beauty that caused Vladimir to adopt Christianity upon his nation, a beauty that isn't just surface, but it goes deep, a beauty of self-sacrificing love, of redemption, of hope. Last quote by Brian Zahn, my man BZ, right? My homie BZ. The cross is a beautiful mystery, a mystery where an unexpected beauty is in the process of rescuing the world from its ugliness. Beauty will save the world. This is the surprising beauty of the cross when seen through the prism of the resurrection. The cross made beautiful is the ultimate triumph of God and his grace. If the crucifixion of Christ can be made beautiful, then there is hope that all the ugliness of the human condition can be redeemed by its beauty. Theologian Stanley Hauerwas, it's not up there, but he says the church doesn't have a social strategy. The church is a social strategy. And what he was getting at is instead of trying to force change upon society through laws and through legislation, what if we as the church were just to exemplify the beautiful alternative of God by actually living it. In a culture of overwork and burnout, especially here in San Francisco, what if we could cultivate a life of Sabbath and rest? In a culture so concerned with outward beauty and appearance, what if we could cultivate inward character and integrity? In a culture of instant gratification, what if we could express the beauty of patience and of waiting and of selfless sacrifice? Too many Christians believe that our strategy is this. We have the truth, so now let's run society by setting the rules of our truth. But if you think about it, that was never Jesus' strategy, right? It wasn't, we got to make it the law that everyone has to worship. We got to make it the law that these are sins. Society shouldn't do it. Jesus' strategy was this. He never spent time trying to convince people how true his gospel was. You'll never hear him debating, this is true. He didn't sit down with people and say, let me lay out five points and prove this is real. Instead, this is what Jesus said. It was an invitation. He said, follow me. Come, see for yourself. Come experience how beautiful life is with me. He could have taken power. He could have enforced the truth as laws, as the word of the land. But instead, he says, I give you an invitation instead of coming with the sword. Come follow me. Come experience how beautiful life is with me. I will give you rest. I will give you life abundant. This is what the psalmist meant when he said, taste and see that the Lord is good. This is our social strategy. To the world, we're saying, taste and see that the Lord is good. Maybe instead of trying to convince our coworkers that God is real, we just radiate the beauty of God in a way that we live that they can't help but wonder, is it true? Maybe instead of trying to debate the world in what's good and what's right and wrong, we live as the beautiful alternative that attracts them to the gospel. What if our lives could express the unique aesthetic of the gospel? How different would our world be? And so in conclusion, this is my challenge and my plea to you. Let's ask Holy Spirit to make our faith beautiful again. And let's start this week 
by asking him to captivate us with his beauty once again. And so this is my challenge. And, you know, you could jot in your notes or your to-do app, but there's twofold, twofold challenge. Number one, my challenge to you this week is to actively seek beauty. I'm not talking about reading a heavy theological book, unless you find beauty in that. Hey, all power to you. I could not. Seek something that is beautiful, whether it has Jesus plastered over it or not. And immerse yourself in this beauty. Allow it to lead you back to its source. Allow beauty to lead you into an encounter with God. Maybe it's, I'm pretty 100% sure Ian's going to take a hike to do this. Maybe it's immersing yourself in nature. Maybe it's hearing live music at the bar down the street. Maybe it's going to a museum or art gallery. Maybe it means watching that film that moved you so much. Vanessa's probably going to watch Remember the Titans. I know this, okay? And so actively seek beauty. Seek something that just enriches your soul, that feeds your soul, that leads you. And as you're witnessing or encountering or experiencing with your senses this beautiful thing, try to open your heart to having an encounter with the source, with the creator. For some of you, just might be putting on your headphones at night and listening to that song that you know is so beautifully crafted. This is a Billie Eilish song that she came out recently in her last album that I think is so beautiful, has nothing to do with God, actually might be anti-Christian, but there's something so beautiful about the way she sings, about the melodies, even about the lyrics and how it's crafted. There's something beautiful about it. So that's the first thing. Actively seek beauty, immerse yourself in it, connect to the divine. But the second is this. Look for beauty in the unexpected. Somewhere in the unexpected this week, Re-examine something you may have written off as ugly. Remember the cross. Ask God to give you eyes to see the beauty in what the world deems ugly. Maybe it's the homeless person that you pass every day on the street. Maybe it's that challenging word that you just could not get yourself to align your heart to. Maybe it's that person, your coworker or family member that just rubs you the wrong way. My challenge to you this week is to look upon that which you deem ugly. I know that's really extreme. Um, but something that you don't see beauty in and ask God, God, would you show me beauty in there? Remember the cross. The symbol for ugliness and death now has become a symbol for life. And so everything we see that might be ugly in our lives can also have a redemption arc, can also be made beautiful. Why don't we close our eyes and let's get ready to pray. God, I know this is just scratching the surface on this really amazing topic of beauty And I know there's so much more you still long to teach us. But today, I pray that more than anything, we would just see the intrinsic value of beauty. That when you created all of creation and you said it was good, what you were essentially saying was, it's beautiful. It's pleasing, delightful to my senses. And I pray first and foremost, we would just be recaptured by the beauty of the gospel. I pray that we would see that beauty is essential to your gospel message. Captivate us with the cross once again. 
remind us that every ugly thing that we see and witness or have experienced in the light of the cross can be made beautiful. That even us, we are a testament to your beauty-making cross. But also, would you give us a conviction to say truth and goodness are beautiful and good, but they're not enough. We also need the gospel aesthetic. Teach us what it means to live lives that don't just tell the truth or exemplify goodness. Teach us how to live lives that are beautiful. Teach us how to live lives that are attractive to our coworkers. Teach us how to live lives that shine when we walk by our neighbor. Teach us how to live lives that show our unbelieving family members how true and how real you are. I pray that we would become the beauty that you have created. And so, God, this week, help us be captivated by your beauty and help us reframe all that is ugly all that might not seem beautiful in our lives and help us see it through the lens of the cross. We thank you, beautiful one, for bestowing beauty upon us, for making beauty from ashes. It's who you are. It's what you do. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.